Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikin. Desi, let's start out the show by thanking our lovely Patreon contributors. They donated over at patreon.com where they got access to all the lovely bonus content that we have over there. A hundred episodes now. A hundred episodes. And you have access to all of them. If you right sign away. up right away. <laughs> Sign up today. Okay, this week we had Alyssa, Amy, Kimberly, Claire, Jessa, Maya, Anna, Tracy, Carla, Haley, Filthy Glamour Cat, Brian, Laura, Alondra, Liz, Cease, Noel, David, Tracy, Sophie, Joseph, Sarah, Stripper Monologues, Anna, (laughs) Sarah, Dana, Lisa, and Shannon. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. So, Rachel? I have no idea what we're doing today. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, this is another case that people have asked us to cover a bunch, so we're finally going to get it get to it today, and that is the mysterious death of musician Bobby Fuller, who was found dead at the age of 23 in 1966. Now, Bobby isn't really a household name today, but he was a rising star at the time of his death, and he had a massive hit that you all probably know, I Fought the Law. That's like his big hit. Yeah. Do you know that song, right? Of course. I mean, I think I first knew that song from The Clash covering it. Same. So, uh, but yeah, this is the original guy. He was like a real up-and-comer, and yeah. So a few sources I used for this was a really big um, Guardian article on his death, um, a website called Ultimate Classic Rock, and excerpts from his brother's book called I Fought the Law, The Life and Strange Death of Bobby Filler that he wrote with Miriam Lena. His name is Randy Fuller. And there's a lot of Reddit conspiracy boards too, by the way. Those are always <laughs> so fun. I definitely hit those up. Okay. So Bobby Fuller was born in Baytown, Texas. He was the middle child of three sons. The family eventually settled in El Paso, Texas. And in 1956, which is the year that Elvis became big, Bobby got really obsessed with Elvis and rock and roll in general. Soon after, he became a huge fan of fellow Texan Buddy Holly and started his own band, as well as beginning to write his own songs. In 1961, when he was just 19 years old, he built his own studio in the den of his parents' house. Uh, He started recording initially on a Viking reel-to-reel tape deck, and then he uh, eventually started acquiring more and more like better equipment. According to his brother Randy... If it was the tape recorder that Bob Keen used to do La Bamba with, he got it. And then he would like talk his mom and dad into getting him all of this cool or like equipment to like set up his little home studio. So the brother, um, brothers built their own control booth and echo chamber. They started two labels, Eastwood and Exeter, to release their own music like in El Paso. In 1964, he got really into surf music. Um, He became a fan of Dick Dale, who had a um, nightclub in California. He went on a trip there. Uh, The nightclub was called the Rendezvous Ballroom, and he was really, like, impressed by this club that was sort of a teen club. You know, do you remember those teen clubs? (laughs) (laughs) And he opened up his own teen club in El Paso. How old was he? He's, like, 19 years old doing this. So he's very ambitious. He uh, called his club the Rendezvous as well. His group was, was he allowed to do that? I guess like the Rendezvous sounds like a, probably a lot of bars in the like late. But he's 50s like, I'm called. such a fan of this Dick Dale club named the Rendezvous. Yeah, I'm going to call my name that my Sir, club that too. Look, Dick Dale didn't sue. <laughs> he probably didn't even know about it. Uh, it wasn't. It was before the internet, so people probably like didn't know what was going on in other towns, right? 
So he had his little group that they were called um, the Fanatics at the time, and that was sort of the house band at the Rendezvous. According to Randy, it was a sight to behold playing surf music in El Paso at our teen club. That is a pretty like fun little thing to be doing at 19, right? Yeah. Like, just start your own thing. Now, this club... And the band became super fucking popular in El Paso. Teens were like coming in from all like the outskirts of town, coming into this club, dressed up like surfers and beach bums, like in the middle of Texas. He became a local sensation. This is a headline from the El Paso Herald Post that said, England has the Beatles, but El Paso has Bobby. <laughs> so he was Whoa. like, he was the El Paso Beatles. Uh, Beatles, 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 bottle. Um, so they were really big in El Paso. Um, they had like an appearance at a local shopping center that had six thousand screaming fans. Holy like, shit! When they came, um, the newspaper said at the time it was like something was about to happen, and you knew it. Like, <laughs> so everyone kind of knew these people were going somewhere. By the end of 1964, the band decides to take things to the next level and moves to Los Angeles. There they hook up with Bob Keane, who was the owner of Delphi Records. Now, we've talked about Bob Keane before um, in our Sam Cooke episodes. Yes. He was uh, on the label, um, as well as um, Bob Keane had discovered and produced Richie Valens. And uh, that was sort of why um, Bobby Fuller approached him. Keane signed them. He became their manager, their booker, their producer, the label boss, the whole deal. Because back then... People got fucking owned just by signing a contract for life. We all know the music biz- business back then. It's a piece of fucking shit. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's any better now, but we know back then yeah. it was bad. Um, so, you know, he had years of playing experience at this point. So he's like pretty like well-honed musician. Um, they rechristened the band the Bobby Fuller Four, and then they became a live group that played around the Hollywood music scene. He was called the rock and roll king of the Southwest, and they really had a unique sound at the time. Like, you have to remember, this is like the height of the British invasion. Yeah. So people were all trying to imitate the big British bands at this time in America, and he was really sticking to that sort of Southern style, stripped down rock and roll. Southwestern. The Southwestern that sort of popularized by like Eddie Eddie Cochran, Richie Valens, and Buddy Holly. Um, they also did vocal harmonies similar to the Everly Brothers. Um, and then they had the surf stuff mixed in as well. So they're a very American rock and roll band. Um, according to Randy, my brother was ahead of his time. Okay. I mean, it's his brother. <laughs> He's going to give him a good review. Mm-hmm. Um, Randy did say his brother would say things like, that all, when everyone was sort of copying the Beatles, he would say, the Beatles could never do Buddy Holly like Buddy Holly. They're not from Texas. Like, so he was definitely like a homegrown boy who was like proud of you know his style of music and never felt the pressure to kind of do the Beatlemania, British Invasion kind of stuff. I mean, you should do what you're good at, yeah. not try to imitate someone else. Exactly. So he stuck to what he, he wanted. They did have a very distinct look. And I looked at some of the pictures. We'll post some. They had like, what was described as J.C. Bring haircuts, and they did wear like these tailored suits. So they had that old school look. Like they weren't as shaggy as a lot of the other bands that were playing in Hollywood at that time. Uh, they had a clean cut with the suits um, and boots. Uh, so yeah, they definitely stood out in that uh, area. And you're right. Like I think, I think doing what they were is what made them successful. Right. 
So they had a local hit in 1965 called Let Her Dance, but it was the following year that they had their big hit, I Fought the Law, that got them sort of national attention, and they were pretty much overnight sensation stars at that point. Now, this song was actually written by Sonny Curtis, who was a member of the Crickets after Buddy Holly died. An interesting tidbit, he also, this guy, Sonny Curtis, also wrote the Mary Tyler Moore theme song. Oh. Which is quite a ri- wide range of wow. songs, right? Isn't that weird? Because it's like a completely different totally. <laughs> type of song. Now, the Crickets version of the song never even charted. It was not a hit at all. But by March 12th of 1966, this version by the Bobby Fuller Four had reached number nine on the Billboard Hot 100. At that point, Keen is trying to capitalize on this record success. The band is packing clubs in Hollywood like Ciro's and Whiskey A Go-Go, and they're just performing them on TV shows as well, including shows like Hullabaloo and Shivery. Oh, right. Those shows. (laughs) You know, those popular shows. And they would perform them on jailhouse sets with like cowgirl go-go dancers brandishing uh, guns. (laughs) Can you just picture it? Yes, I can. <laughs> like, I love how literal that is. Like, we're on a jail, and here's the law. <laughs> we fought her. She won. Like, wait, it's just like... Um, so, yeah, they're like teen idols at this point. But as with uh, anything, sometimes these bands get success, and things start getting tense very soon after. And that's what happened with these guys. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So Keen basically does the old, you know, where they try to make the lead singer, the star, and the rest of the band members are like, hey, they get <laughs> what about us? Yeah. So he's trying to mold Bobby Fuller into like a Richie Valens style star and really started to try to isolate him from the band. Fuller like is really all about the music. Like he didn't like all this fucking gimmicks in the show. He wanted to get back in the studio and record. He didn't want to do these bullshit like gimmicky performances. Um, so that also caused some kind of tension between him and Bob Keen. Keen just kept coming up with these, like, these kind of like crazy ideas to give the band more like exposure. He, um, got them a spot on the show Shindig, which is another one of those dance shows that's kind of like, um, the ones I mentioned before, but I think that was the most popular one. Shindig. Did you ever hear of it? No, Desi. Shindig with an exclamation point. Are you sure? I'm in my early 30s. Uh, And then a look, I wasn't around (laughs) during those days either. (laughs) But I feel like I've heard of Shindig. Have you only heard of like the Dick, what is his name? Dick Clark. His big one. What was that show? American Bandstand. Bandstand? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because heard, that one went to like I've the heard 90s. I've like the big ones. Okay. Well, maybe I've just heard of the word. Now, <laughs> <laughs> they also did like some weird drag racing themed thing for a local Los Angeles uh, radio station. And they had a cameo in a movie called The Ghost in the Invisible Bikini, which... <laughs> 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 which is a goofy beach party movie 
that starred Boris Karloff. Oh my God. Now in the movie, they're a band playing and they sing, they're kind of backing up Nancy Sinatra. So this is a very late 60s movie. The most. The most. It's the most. Um, so yeah, those are the kind of things that Keen is hooking them up with. Not exactly the coolest kind of stuff, although I would love to be in that movie. <laughs> For sure. But you can see like people who consider themselves serious musicians are like, I don't want to fucking be in the ghost in the invisible bikini. <laughs> so their, their biggest hit had just, uh, dropped as I said before. And in a few months it would all come to an end in the early hours of July 18th. Full, uh, this is 1966. Fuller receives a phone call and leaves his Hollywood apartment in his mother's blue Oldsmobile. Now, his mom was in Hollywood from El Paso visiting him at this time, just for whatever reason. Um, by that afternoon, Fuller was found dead by his mother, sprawled on the front seat with a gas can nearby. His body was completely doused with gasoline. The car had been in the parking lot outside the apartment for 30 minutes before his mother discovered the body. Now, apparently the car was not there at some point that someone timed and then 30 minutes later she came out and saw it and like they knew it wasn't there 30 minutes earlier, but I couldn't figure out why they knew that or if it was her who knew that. Um, his, his arms and body were covered in bruises. So initial speculation was that he had been beaten or drugged or something and left in this car. Now, initial reports, um, from the coroner's office, they kind of all thought that it was uh, suicide initially. Now, the headline was musician Robert Fuller, 23, was found dead on the parking lot at his Hollywood apartment house with a plastic hose in his hands leading to a gasoline tank. That was from the LA Times at the time. So what was the cause of death? The cause of death is asphyxiation by gas. Like he choked on gasoline. No, like the fumes. Now, But he was also doused in gas, you yeah, said. Yeah, look, we're going to get to it. <laughs> But the official cause of death was asphyxiation from, from, the, fumes. from the fumes. So it's kind of like, um, I can't remember what it was called. Wasn't there something called like the suicide bag or something? Yes. Where it was with helium. Yes. So basically you're suffocating yourself because you're inhaling gas that has zero oxygen in it and you eventually will die. I looked it up and it actually... Um, and this isn't like airborne gas. It's the ga- or I mean, this is the gasoline. Like he's huffing like a siphon of gasoline, or was it from the? That's just what I read. Like the car, the windows and stuff were all rolled up, so the fumes could have been in there too. Okay, I'm just confusing it with the liquid gasoline. Right, he wasn't drinking it. Okay, like uh, as far so as so he I had know. the car running when they found no. Him. It's not running. This is just the fumes from gasoline that he inhaled, supposedly. That's what I'm trying to Yeah. That's wild. It's a wild thing to do. Now, there were rumors initially that he drank gasoline, and a lot of people were like, who could drink gasoline? Uh, but people do it. And it's like, I think it was something that's on a, it's along the lines of that, what's that show, My Secret Addiction or whatever? Yeah. Where people are eating weird things. Like people can acquire a taste for of gasoline course. and want to, so that's like, but that's not what happened here. This is a f- asphyxiation from the fumes, not wow. drowning, um, but like from the gas, right. like the actual gas. I guess that's the confusing word. Yeah, that's what's the fumes confusing. of the gas, not gasoline. the gasoline. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, um, so he's like lying down, face face down in this car. As I said, there's the gas can, um, and the the gas is everywhere as well inside the car and on him, not just like. He didn't die just from me. Like he was covered in it as okay. well. Um, so 
the police basically agree, but there's a lot of reports that this was once again a very bungled crime scene. Like they basically didn't even like dust for fingerprints on the what? gas can that was left behind, like that level of bad. The autopsy, um, despite the bruises, they declared that he was not beaten. Um, they basically said that the gas vapors and the summer heat probably caused the hemorrhages that looked like bruises on his body. Um, the medical examiner checks both accidental and suicide on the box of the, like, whatever, the sheet, and with a question mark by each one. So that's obviously something that's going to be like, wait, (laughs) that's going to start conspiracies, right? So it's like, I think everyone was leaning towards suicide, but officially neither one of them were really, like, chosen or whatever. Now, another strange detail um, about this finding of this body. As I mentioned before, that the car had not been in that lot for 30 minutes, like 30 more f- minutes before the body was found. His body was in an advanced state of rigor mortis. Whoa. So that sort of seems like he maybe died somewhere else and then was taken there and put in that position like after he had been dead for a while. And then the car was abandoned. <clears throat> right. So Three months after his death, the official cause of death was changed to accidental asphyxiation and suicide was now uh, ruled out completely. That created even more mystery. And as with any mysterious celebrity death, conspiracies started running rampant regarding what really happened to Bobby Fuller. So there's a lot of theories. There's a few that are uh, small. I'll get to those first. One of the theories that went around was that he had gone to a party and did LSD and whatever, had like a bad trip or something happened while he was experimenting with drugs. He had an accident and the people who were with him freaked out that they'd be responsible or busted for drugs or whatever. Those party uh, goers like drove him back to his apartment and left his body in the car. Now, a lot of people said that he wasn't really into drugs like he wasn't like someone who used drugs. Uh, so it, that seemed like unlikely. Also, why what would, would have happened? Like, also, why would they go to the trouble of staging that weird ass fucking <clears throat> right? Just drop yeah. him off anywhere, right? Like, yeah, uh, that makes no sense to me. Another weird rumor that went around, and this is like after the fact, um, obviously, was that he was killed by the Manson family. But Manson was in jail at this time, like, right? The Manson family wasn't even a thing, I don't think, in 66. I mean, he was in jail, whatever. Charles Manson was in jail at that time, so I don't think that was happening. But obviously, people want to always tie uh, Manson into anything. Now, like you had mentioned before, like this is clearly something that's beyond just like someone dropping a body off. Like it almost seemed like to a lot of people that he was, they were going to torch the car and destroy the evidence, but something happened where they ran off after dousing gasoline everywhere and never lit the car on fire. Right. Like maybe someone approached the car or whatever and they just fucking bolted. So that was sort of like an initial thought also. Jim Reese, who was a guitarist for the Bobby Fuller Four, he would later tell an interview that four days after Bobby died, three armed men came to his apartment looking for him. And then the next day, Reese and the drummer from the band, Dalton Powell, fled to El Paso, taking a pistol with them just in case. Like, that's how much it scared them. I did find an interview with Dalton Powell that's, like, from, like, recently. It's, like, he's in his 70s. And he said that that initial rumor like kind of got blown up. Like he's like, "Ah, I don't even know if those guys were looking for Bobby. It just was a coincidence that came to the house, these kind of thugs. 
Um, he also is adamant that Bobby did not commit suicide and that it was either murder or was accidentally killed in some way. Now, the other rumor, another big rumor that happened, and this has another weird connection to a case we've done before, was that um, this was retribution for um, a mob-connected girlfriend that he was fucking around with. And like she was the girlfriend of a big Los Angeles nightclub owner who had mob connections, and he was fucking around with her, and this guy got pissed. Now, he had a girlfriend named Melody who was supposedly working at a place called PJ's as a waitress. There was rumors that she was a part-time uh, sex worker and was also the girlfriend of the co-owner of PJ's, Dominic Lucci. Lucci was like very mafia, like East Coast mafia connected. He and his partner in all of these nightclubs that they owned was Adele Nasrallah, a.k.a. Eddie Nash. Oh. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Eddie Nash comes up in this. Holy shit. Uh, so he, yeah, he was like owner of this nightclub where supposedly this girl Melody worked. And as we all know from the Wonderland episode, he's pretty connected to all this kind of stuff as well. He was a well-known character even back then. He, throughout his life, escaped numerous convictions for drug trafficking, arson, murder, like a ton of stuff. Now, Lucci is also like, you know, Eddie Nash level. Like he's mob connected and doing all these fucking crimes and in this sort of nightclub LA underworld. Like, so he was supposedly jealous over Melody's affection for this young, talented rock star. Um, he had his henchmen or whatever go over to see Bobby Fuller and teach him a lesson about like fucking his girlfriend. Uh, and then the rumor would be Fuller was sort of not someone who would like back down. He'd be like a, f- a fucking Texan type guy, like that type of masculinity thing. And that he fi- fought back, ended up getting killed. And in a panic, they put him in this car, tried to cover up the murder by burning it and got scared away by whatever had happened. What's weird is that it ended, the car ended up at his mom's house. Yes, like that's that's like, the, the they had to know where he. Well, that was his house. The mom was staying with him. Oh, okay, right. I'm so sorry. that was his house. It was his house. Um, but still, you'd have to know that as well, unless they right? met him at his house. And fi- I mean, I guess it wouldn't yeah. be that hard to figure out where he lived. No, because that guy probably was like, "Here's where he lives." Like maybe they even confronted him when he came home, and they took him somewhere. Right. I mean, that could have been something that happened. And then dropped the car back off. Um, now, in this like. I did find this clipping from a newspaper at the time where Powell, the drummer I mentioned earlier, he said that like the day Bobby Fuller died, um, that Fuller's mother, Lorraine, like he actually saw Lorraine coming down the sidewalk after finding the body. Like, I don't know if they lived near each other or what. And he said she was frantic and talking really fast. We knew something was seriously wrong. He said that he went to Fuller's car, looked in and saw him lying in the seat in a strange position with a gas can on the floorboard. He said he could have gotten any kind of drug he wanted in those days. He, would have ha- he wouldn't have to resort to sniffing gas for a high. Besides, he didn't really like drugs. He got high on his music. So I think initially they also thought he was like huffing in right. the car. Like that was another sort of, I guess, like whatever. I mean, you could, yeah, if you're like fucked up enough from it, you could like spill gas on yourself while you're huffing it. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. So another theory uh, was implicating the manager, Bob Keen. Uh, People noted very fast that Fuller was the third big artist under his charge after Richie Valens and Sam Cooke, who died in unusual circumstances. Now, I did look up uh, the Richie Valens conspiracies. Cause it, I didn't know that that was a controversial death, but I guess everything is nowadays. Like I thought that that plane crash with him and the big bopper and Buddy, uh, Holly. Buddy Holly was considered an accident, but obviously everything has some conspiracy theories. So I did look that up. And some of the things that people questioned in that incident was, um, that there was a gun, Buddy Holly had a gun that was found 
like from the plane crash, like whatever, 50 feet from where the plane crashed. So he had a gun on board. So people were like, oh, did he incapacitate the um, pilot? (laughs) Buddy Holly? Yes. What? Like, I don't know quite what the point was. Like, did something happen with the gun? I was like, I can't really picture Buddy Holly shooting the pilot. (laughs) Just as Like, seriously, like, why would you ever even do that? Why would Buddy Holly do that? It just doesn't seem in character. It doesn't seem in character for him. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that. I don't even know Buddy Holly's character, but it doesn't seem someone's like- gonna out reply and go, uh, actually he was an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> he was an asshole gun shooter. <laughs> Thank you very much. He shot my grandma. Um and then there was something else where the big bopper was like <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I honestly like I know it's a horrible accident, but there is something that always makes me laugh. Like some friend of mine always tweets something with Chantilly Lace where he just does this tweet every once in a while. He's like, hello, babe. <laughs> and he like writes new wor- words and it's so dumb. To Chantilly Lace? Yeah, like that, you know where he's talking, well, you know what I love. Yeah, <laughs> like it's that whole like fucking creepy. It's really like, it's like so wrong. But like apparently his body was like 40 feet like where everyone was by the plane, he was like 40 feet away and yeah. no one ever had like an explanation for that. But I don't really know what that would mean. Like, was he shot out the plane? Like, I don't know what the conspiracy 40 theory... 40 feet away is not that far. Yeah. And you have figure, a plane crash. You figure there's going to be things flying all over the place. Like, I wouldn't know something was odd. It would all look pretty reasonable to me. Same. Anyway, so there are conspiracies about that, just that, because there's that, conspiracies about everything. That this keen guy is is offing his most successful people. Yes, and Sam Cooke as well. So they all died in unusual circumstances. And I think we talked a bit about some of the Sam Cooke conspiracies in that episode as well. Now, some speculated that he uh, killed Fowler to cash in on a large insurance policy that he had taken out on him. Uh, but there's zero evidence of any of that. But the most well-researched and um, biggest theory is in the book I mentioned up at the top, uh, the 2015 book, I Fought the Law, The Life and Strange Death of Bobby Fuller by Miriam Lena and Randy Fuller, Bobby's brother. And in this book, they claim Bobby died because of the notorious roulette records owner, Morris Levy. Now, he is described as the godfather of the American music business, and I do not think that's meant in like a good way. He was a boyhood friend of the Genovese crime family enforcer, Vincent the Chin Giganti, who was like a pretty famous mobster. They're like, grew up together. Uh, He pretty much operates his business um, like a mobster. He is famous for robbing his artists of all of their royalties. And it is said that he is the basis for the character Hesh on The Sopranos. Oh. Yeah. And he's like the Jewish friend of the mobsters and this is what Morris Levy basically is. So like if you look at Levy's business partners and associates, it's literally like all East Coast mafia people as well. He is doing business with members of the Gambino, the Genovese and the uh, De Cavalcante crime families. Um, He has a really huge history of beatings, threats, deaths, everything. I feel like he might be his own episode at some point. Hell yeah. Because it was crazy what I was looking into. So I'm going to get into some of it that deals with Bobby Fuller and some other things. But yeah, he's like, definitely seems like his own episode. So this guy has his own record company in yes. LA. Roulette Records, Roulette which records. was a big record company. And it, I think it had rock and roll and pop. And then eventually it goes into jazz. His brother, I think that I read this, his brother owned Birdland, which is a big jazz club in New York. 
I don't know if it still is, but it was at the time. So yeah, it's just like he's all over the place. Now, shortly before Bobby Fuller died, Keen's label signed an exclusive distribution deal with Roulette Records, and um, the Bobby Fuller 4's last single, The Magic Touch, was sort of like penned by one of the writers at Roulette. So that was sort of like they were transitioning over into this, and I think Roulette feel like felt like that was their property now, right? And I think Bob Keen is kind of like, a low level, whatever sort of mobstery things he was doing was not at the level of Morris Levy. He's like the Fredo. Like he's like a lower level thug record producer guy. Now, Randy believes that his brother's death was connected to a business deal he wanted to back out of. He said that um, his brother and Keen, he saw them in the company of a third man during the Bobby Fuller for spring 1966 concert in New York. And he couldn't remember who it was at the time. But once he was shown a photo of Levy um, by his co-writer, um, Randy identified to him without knowing his name. He's like, that's the guy they were with. Another um, interesting crime that happened on December 1st, 1967, so about a year later, was a singer named Jimmy Rogers, who was also with Roulette Records. He suffered traumatic head injuries after a car he was driving with was stopped by an off-duty police officer uh, near the San Diego freeway in uh, LA. He had a fractured skull and required several surgeries. Now, Initial reports attributed his injuries to a severe beating with a blunt instrument, like by unknown assailants. Um, but Rogers had no memory of what had happened. He just remembered seeing the blinding lights of the police car. Um, then they found out that it was Michael Duffy, like um, an LAPD guy, who had stopped him for erratic driving, and he had already seemed beaten. Duffy called for assistance. Um, they put him in the car. Now. So there was like questioning about how his skull fracture happened. Um, but basically, this is another artist by uh, under Mor- uh, Morris Levy's contract who also was fucking up and Morris Levy was trying to put him in, in, in line. Like, yeah. So this is a thing that he's doing constantly. Now, this guy, Jimmy Rogers, like sued the LAPD. Uh, but they, they, they actually, for once, I don't think they actually did it. <laughs> for once, the LAPD was innocent in this. <laughs> wow. Like... So someone beat them, but the LAPD found him while he was driving in a beaten state. Right. And then they kind of got the blame for it for once in their life, like the wrong blame. <laughs> um, so other, like there was a 2010 biography called Me, the Mob, and the Music by singer Tommy James. James and in it, he wrote that Morris Levy um, had arranged the attack. Like, wow. So he said it in this book. Now, yeah, I mean, it's just like this guy is fucked up Morris Levy and I definitely want to do a show on him because I just even love the Sopranos connection quite honestly when I saw that I was like whoa Hesh but Hesh was a good guy uh not in the first season when he (laughs) stole all that guy's fucking money well but he wasn't like overall he was one of the better look look Sopranos good okay good is a relative term on the Sopranos yes I would argue was Hesh one of the better mobsters he was But he did, there was that whole drama in the first season, wasn't it? When he was stealing that guy's record uh, royalties. Oh, right, 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 right. I forgot about that. There was that that whole fucking. Because they kind of dropped the record stuff in later seasons. It was like a big thing the first season or so. He was kind of became like the voice of reason. Yeah, I think that's what I'm thinking. Because at some point he did become the conscience almost. Right. And then at the last season, wasn't he like beaten with his son-in-law? 
Like really, his son in law got the shit beat out of yeah, him. Yeah, that was fucked up. I hated that. Phil Leotardo, was that who it was? Oh, I fucking hate I Phil hated Leotardo. Phil Leotardo. Dude. <laughs> I want to. I took so many pictures of his forehead. I hate him so. <laughs> I was much. like screen grabbing his forehead constantly. I was like, "What am I going to tweet? Look at this forehead! <laughs> I fucking hate that short." And his forehead was like an inch between his hairline and his eyebrows. It drove me fucking him. crazy. Okay, so now a lot of people, even though all of this stuff seems very logical, a lot of people think like, "Was it a mob thing?" Because mob like. Like, if they're attacking someone, they want to send a message. They're yeah. not silent about it. Right. They're like, this is what happens when you fucking speak out or get out of line. Like, they want people to know this is what happens to you. Like, right. we did this. So a lot of people think, like, that's not going to happen here. They would have fucking left their mark or whatever, made it, their message very clear. This guy didn't commit suicide. <laughs> we fucking did this, right? Like, so... That's sort of like the people who are anti-mob theory. That's like their line of reasoning. They think it wasn't clear enough that it was a mob hit. They think that the mob... It's kind of like the people who think a terrorist will take credit like for their terrorist attack, right? Right. They'll like, make an announcement like, hey, that was us. And then sometimes people do it even if it wasn't them just right. to ke- kind of get power. So that's sort of the people who don't believe the mob attack. I think the mob seems pretty... It seems like it could be. So far, it seems like one of the more plausible... Right. Things. I mean, over the Manson family. A wolf. Yeah. <laughs> definitely uh, over that. So, I mean, now, according to Randy, like, obviously, he thinks that Bobby really wanted to return to El Paso, open up a new teen club, and continue, like, producing music in his studio free from all of this commercial pressure and bullshit Hollywood, whatever. That seems kind of logical to me. Like, I didn't see anything about Bobby Fuller that said he was like a partier or a ladies' man. And I feel like at least some of those stories would come out. Like, there's literally nothing. Like, he was like a good guy who was literally obsessed with fucking music. Um, According to Lena in this interview with the LA Weekly, um, in July 1966, Bobby had had it. The band was going to break up. He wanted out of the recording contract. He wanted out of the group. He was going to go solo and work from home. They were all supposed to meet at Bob Keen's, but Bobby didn't turn up because he was dead. So according to her, there was some meeting where he was going to tell them that he was leaving. Going back to El Paso. Uh-huh, and that he never showed up to this meeting and it never happened. So that definitely also leans in the direction that something happened with him and Morris Levy. Um, just a little bit about Morris Levy. He did eventually get busted for some kind of like organized crime esque charges. Like I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was like extortion or something like that. Like so, he is deep and like he has a whole FBI like surveillance thing taking him down. Like this right. whole big like sting operation that happened for years and years and years. He um he had like. The FBI, like whatever, put recorded and uh, recording devices in his office, and they even hid one behind a sign that he had near his desk that read the sign read, "Oh Lord, give me a bastard with talent." And that's where they put like one of the recording devices behind and like basically busted him for all of his shady dealings. So he did get um, convicted eventually, um, but died of cancer before he had to report to jail. So wow, yeah. We'll get back into him because he's crazy. Now, so according to the brother, like he really believes his brother would have been this like Brian Wilson, Phil Spector, like he would have been this music uh, virtuoso. And that's quite possible. We'll never know. Um, But it seems like everyone thinks that he was just on the verge of a bigger success. 
um, and that he could have altered the way rock and roll probably went, like maybe maybe sort of counteracting the Beatles and having that rock and roll American style surge as well. A lot of people, one of the like, Sam Cooke's rest relatives is a man named Eric Green, and he really thinks there's some connection. He had all these similarities between the deaths of Sam Cooke and Bobby Fuller. Like, I think they had both been at that restaurant. I can't remember the name of it. There was some, like, a fancy Italian I restaurant. I remember that restaurant. Yeah, like, Bobby Fuller had been there. I mean, all of the... I, we've talked about this before, where it's like... <laughs> I think we just had an episode where it was like, there's, like, five things. Oh, I think it was the John Lennon and yes. Dur- Dime Bag. Where there's like, yeah, there's like five things that are similar. They're both rock stars. They both died mysterious deaths. <laughs> like, but none of the none of the similarities are very specific. Right. Because they're very different. Like we, yes. we know those both of those crimes are very different. Now, I thought the law became a punk rock staple. Uh, we mentioned that we both knew it from The Clash. I think that's a pretty big cover of it. It's also been covered by The Dead Kennedys, The Ramones, Social Distortion, and Green Day. Um, the recorded version by The Clash is in that rock band video game. Like That's is it? the version. Yeah, I've never played it. I think I did, actually. I feel like I would be really good at that. Really? I don't know. I would I get I don't know. I don't know. I'm playing that like weird guitar thing. But you just have to press the buttons really fast. <laughs> in my fantasy, you it's kind of like it. how I feel like I could I could play the bass line um from what's that go-go song? We got Our the lips beat? are sealed. Oh, our lips are sealed. Like do 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 do. I feel yeah. like I could pick up a bass yeah. and play that instantly. That's not going to happen. <laughs> That's my in my head. I was like I could easily play that bass line. <laughs> My dad tried to teach me guitar when I was like 13 or 14, and I remember I sat down with him for about an hour, and I was like, I'm not doing this, any. I can't. This is not for me. It hurts your fingers. It fucking hurt too much. I couldn't. He's like, you got to build up the calluses. I was like, I don't have time for this. How do you get to the calluses? (laughs) That seems so hard. I know. So you're just in pain for months and months and months? I know some guy's going to reply us about this. Oh, my God. Uh, don't at me because I used to be a ballet dancer, so I know pain. Yeah. I just don't get... No, I agree. The 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 callus thing, I think that's a common line. <laughs> like, you got to build up the calluses. You got to build up the calluses. I was like, what do I want? Like, fingers that look like fucking, like, yellow skin <laughs> that are all, like, tough? Like, I don't think so. But, I, yeah. I also just am not... I just was not, like, guitar playing in... Cl- I just felt... I was like, ah... I'm not going to be good at this. Uh, but obviously that was like a 13 or 14 year old's mentality of like, oh, I'm not just lazy too. Yeah. Cause I wasn't great at it immediately. Right. You don't want to rehearse or practice. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to practice. No. I want to go get drunk. I also have this fantasy that, um, I'm watching like a concert and the person, the piano player or something happens to them. They have a stroke and they yeah. let you up on stage. And, and I have to do like a, um, improvised solo. Like it's a jazz quartet. <laughs> So it's like, and I, first in, of all, <laughs> wait, let's just take a step back here. I love that at this hypothetical concert, there's a piano player there. Yes. So what kind of band is this? It's a, a jazz band. It's a jazz band. So there's like the part where everyone takes their solo. Yes. The piano player is out. I go up. Desi. And in my fantasy, look, I've had this dream before. In my fantasy, like I keep playing notes that match the thing, but I don't know what I'm doing. So like, I'll just play like one note, like, and it's like, I try to make it work. Do, ba do, ba da. Like I keep 
do like this improvised and it keeps working out. I'm like, what the fuck? Like I'm doing it. Like in my head, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I keep just pressing these like crazy jazz notes. <laughs> so it's like, I can kind of be off. And, and then everyone rises good. to their feet yeah. and applauds you. It is literally my biggest fantasy is to play an instrument instantly, probably because I'm really lazy. <laughs> I just want to play it instantly and not have to practice. That's basically it. So, uh, yeah, sorry for that. Uh, whatever. So yeah, I mean, that's basically the story. That song obviously is a rock classic, um, and probably always will be. I mean, it's just a classic anti authority. Yeah. I mean, it's made for rock and roll. Now, a lot of people have, uh, covered it other than the punk rock scene. Um, Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty. And then I saw this one funny thing that Bob Dylan, uh, liked some song by Bobby Fuller called A New Shade of Blue. He applied new lyrics to the melody and made the song soon after midnight for his 2012 album Tempest, and he didn't give him songwriting credits. What? Isn't that weird? Isn't that illegal? Wait, so he just took the melody and then yeah, changed he the lyrics? changed the lyrics to the melody and changed the title and claimed songwriting credits. I don't know how that's legal. I guess Bobby Fuller his estate didn't sue. Like, That's I don't weird. know how music, sometimes I don't know how like, um, plagiarism works in music. Cause sometimes people are like, see that, like, like remember blurred lines Yeah, where they're like, Ooh, it's that groove. <laughs> like that's the part that they plagiarized. Right. But it's like, is that plagiarized? plagiarizable. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the melody? What's, what's the part that's copyrighted? The melody, the chord changes, the beat. Yeah. Cause with the, um, blurred lines one, that was like a real subtle, like the under look let's be honest that's like one of the main reasons that song was such a hit is because it sounded like got to give it up the best song which is one of the best songs ever no and you don't hear it but it's not obvious because i knew the i knew the original it's like it's like it's uh, subtle it's like like subliminal messaging it is subliminal it's like like this it's marvin Gaye, bitch (laughs) but that's what's interesting about that case because it was like well what did they steal like it's not like a melody line that would be very obvious, but it's a very, very, very familiar beat that we're all like, wait a minute, right? And I'm sure, like, I think that that's like an interesting in the music copyright thing. Like, what is the thing they won? Didn't yeah, I think they did win, and maybe they just were like, yeah, we got to give it up for <laughs> Marvin Gaye, or they probably knew inside their head that they did that, right? Or subconsciously. Oh, that's thought- what, that's the interesting thing. Remember that guy Sam Smith who accidentally stole a song. I think it might Wait, have been Tom. what? Yeah, he had, what's his big song? Do you know that guy? Stay with you. Yeah. That one? Yeah, that's yes. a Tom Petty song. Oh, I won't back down. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same melody. It is the same melody. And I think Tom Petty, I read about that because I was like, yeah, it was another one where I didn't know it because it's so different sounding, but it's like the same da 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 da. But it's like that would happen to me if oh, I was yeah. ever a songwriter. I'd be like writing a song, look what this great song, and it would be like, that's not your song. That's Desi. Freebird, Desi. That's Cashmere. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I could see how you do that. And yeah. you're like, no, it's a gospel song. It's not a Tom Petty song, right? Because that song has that like, whoa, 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 whatever, the Sam Smith. But then I read it and, uh, I can't remember. I did read about this because I was reading something about like songs that had been stolen or whatever, stuff like that. It was like a list article. But Tom Petty was super chill about it. He was? Yeah. Which yeah. was like so Tom Petty, yeah. who I love. But he was just like, oh, that's cool, man. <laughs> like, I think he got money for it, but it wasn't like a big deal. Yeah. He like got on the songwriting credits. I um, remember like, I don't know how many years ago it was, when Sam Smith 
won an Oscar and he, in his acceptance speech, he was like, I'm the first gay person to win an Oscar. And then everyone on the internet, including me, melted down about how actually it was Stephen Sondheim who won that award first. I remember that. (laughs) That's such a blunder. Because I feel like if I was going to be like, I'm the first something, I would research that that. Am I the first? I'm lazy. (laughs) But I would be like, I would be making sure. Yeah. I mean... That's so funny. What did Sondheim win for? Dick Tracy? Sooner or later. Yeah. Great song. Yeah. Great. Look, I like Dick Tracy. Sooner or later, great song. I like uh, his music from from that movie, Sooner or Later, is a good one. I think I was going to do that at karaoke once, but they didn't have it. I've always almost done that at karaoke, but it's too slow, and it's like it's never the right audience for that song. Well, and it's also one of those songs you really have to know. I know there's not a like. I know it completely by yeah. heart. I used to sing that song in my bedroom when I was twelve. Yeah, I love that song. But hearing it without the singing, without singing along with the record, it's harder. No, I know that song so well. Okay. It's one of those songs, Desi. Okay, I will not sing it in public though. Okay, at karaoke. Oh, I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> if they ever have it, yeah, I was gonna try it, but they didn't have it. It's not a hard. It's not, when they we don't went have to the, uh, the Ace. Oh. Remember when we sang karaoke at the Ace? Yeah, that was a good night. That was fun. that was such a good trip. That, that's because unexpected karaoke is always the best karaoke. It, 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 that's so true. Because it's always the best. That was like one of my top four karaoke moments ever. Because we weren't planning on going. The other moment that was my top four. I don't know why I picked that number. Karaoke <laughs> moment. Like, so I'm in the top four. <laughs> Well, the, maybe it's top two. The top two is when I was doing karaoke at four in the morning in New York with Brendan oh, right, right, and right. his sisters. Yeah, no, because it was unplanned. It's always the best. It was. It was the best. It's the best. Um, so yeah, that's all I got for you. Wow, uh, I did not know the story of Bobby Fuller at all. But people yeah, kept asking for it. They and I have been. I was worried it wasn't enough, but then when I found all of those mob things, I was like, oh, okay, that's good. That's juicy. The book looks interesting, the book by the brother, and he goes way more into Morris Levy, uh, but I think we'll probably do an episode on him. Absolutely. Because it sounds, I'm interested in that music industry at that time. Well, it's they, really awful. So many people got fucked over. And there was something about Phil Spector who also wanted to work with Bobby Fuller and he like something fucked up happened. I forgot to include the story. He had but a it was meltdown. Like, yeah, it was kind of like some typical Phil Spector story. God. But it was sort of illustri- illustrative of like how much people wanted to work with him. Like right. he was sort of a big up and comer. People um, were willing to put up with his shit at the time because he was so <laughs> talented and so big. You know, Ugh, but must he be was, nice. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. All right. That's it. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 